Are you ready to make some real good learning? You've come to the right place. Welcome to the Good Learning Podcast, where we dive deep into real world examples of real good learning as told by the best L&D professionals in the field. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, founder and chief learning strategist at the Good Learning Agency, a boutique fractional CLO agency advising on corporate learning strategy that's aligned, effective, and approachable. At Good Learning, we believe over-the-top results don't require over-the-top learning. Each episode, we'll take a holistic look at a specific learning intervention, how it came to fruition, what went into developing it, how it was measured, lessons learned, and so much more. You'll hear from real-life L&D practitioners from all over the world who are doing the work and making some real good learning happen while doing it. No matter what your function is inside of your organization or team, we're all responsible for creating real good learning. Now, let's go see how it's done. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Good Learning Podcast. I am so happy that y'all are here So happy that y'all are loving the show. Thank you so much for those of you who have been leaving uh, reviews and ratings. It is so helpful, especially when it's an early on podcast. And I just appreciate y'all for listening, for sharing this show. I've seen so many of you sharing it, uh, talking about what you've learned. Uh, My favorite part so far is all the connections that y'all have been creating with the guests that have been on here. And it's just been amazing. And there's going to be more to come uh, in the good learning world in 2024, we are working on expanding our agency and some of our offerings as well. So, so excited about that. If you are looking for a partner to help you create some real good learning inside of your organization, please feel free to reach out. Uh, I have an amazing team of people who are here to help y'all. We do strategy sessions. We have fractional CLO, long-term consulting, really anything you're looking for in terms of partnering from a strategic lens, we've we've got y'all. So make sure to reach out. I can hop on a call, talk about what your organization is looking for, and be there to provide that strategic support for you. So speaking of strategic support, we are talking all about performance management today. And that is a huge part of what we do in the learning space, right? Like even if it's not our full-time jobs, and there are a lot of organizations that have performance management as their own full-time job, really what we're doing is helping to aid in performance management. And so I have Megan Galloway on today. Megan is on a mission to make our workplace a more authentic and human place for current and future generations to thrive. Megan is the founder of Everleader, a culture strategy agency that helps companies map their culture strategy and implement it into their day-to-day business operations. Megan has specialized in building award-winning learning programs and communities for teams and fast-growing companies, and her thought leadership has been featured in podcasts like this one, articles, international conferences, and her LinkedIn-based coffee chat community has hosted thousands of participants from six of the seven continents around the world. Above everything, though, Megan loves Ted Lasso, baking French pastries, and spending time with her family. And Megan has also just launched a brand new leadership development cohort. Y'all, I'm so excited about this for her. It is for L&D professionals. And what Megan's focusing on inside of this cohort is teaching best practices on building innovative leadership development programs for your companies. So if you're building a leadership or manager training in 2024, make sure to check out Megan's LinkedIn. She has shared recently about uh, what the program's going to be, and you can connect with her to learn how you can join in on the first cohort. But today we're talking all about performance management. And again, 
some of the topics we talk about here, while they may not be the quote unquote sexiest topics in L&D, they're really important ones. And to me, that's what makes them sexy. And I think performance management is a huge, huge piece of that. And Megan's going to talk about how she worked on this, on transforming a pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies approach to performance management. And what I hope you get to take away from this is how you can infuse culture into performance management so that way you can constructively train leaders to lead with impact and to really create this this full 360 performance management cycle. So uh, without further ado, welcome Megan to the show and I hope you all enjoy it. Megan, welcome to the Good Learning Podcast. I'm so happy to have you on. How are you today? I'm doing really great. I'm so happy to be here with you too. Yeah, I know you just gotten some some dental stuff done. So uh, uh, we want to we'll we'll give you grace. We won't ask you the the hard questions, the too hard of questions today. But I'm super super excited to have you on today. Uh, we were talking before we recorded to around. Um, feels like we already know each other. It's it's so that's, I think it's a beautiful world. It's part of me thinks it's like the silver lining of all like the COVID pandemic stuff was like the opportunity that all we all had to just meet each other and be online and to to play in that space too. So I'm really happy that that brought us together, but let's kick off by talking about you. I'm really excited to hear more about you and for me to learn more about you too, but tell us a little bit about you, where you work, what your role is, and yeah, we'd love to hear more about who you are. I love it. Yeah. And I do think that the pandemic accelerated these like online communities in such a different way. And in particular, LinkedIn is just like a whole nother level of people that are just so giving and kind and like you really get to know people and, yeah. and yeah, it's been a really cool space. So I'm really happy we met that way too. Yeah. Same. yeah. yeah. So, um, so I'm Megan Galloway. Uh, I live in Kansas city and I am the head of learning experience at campfire we're a leadership development tech startup. So that's really fun. Uh, my background before this, I've always been on the inside of organizations. So I built three ground up learning and development programs um, at three different organizations, two in the construction industry, and then one in banking. And then I had left and started my own business and was like doing consulting type things. And uh, that's how I met Campfire. They were actually one of my clients that I was working with. So, yeah. so it's been really fun. I oversee like as head of learning experience, basically oversee um, all of our learning design and the content curriculum, like that type of thing, the experiences that we have. Um, I work a lot with our product team and like helping make sure that the tech supports those things as well. And then I also um, train all our facilitators and get them kind of up to speed and then, and then work with them as well. So that's, that's most of what my role entails. I love that. And it's so nice too. It's kind of, it sounds like you get to have, have your hands in like lots of different pieces of the, the entire strategy. So, um, I, that, my last full-time role was very similar to that. So I'm like, Oh, i kind of giving me, giving me good, good, good memories for sure. Okay. Uh, so on this podcast, one of the things that we're really looking at and diving into is specific learning interventions or solutions that uh, L&D professionals and pros just like you have created or been a part of creating. So talk to us about a specific challenge or maybe change that was happening in your organization that you were solving for with the learning intervention that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So I think that the one that's likely a best example is um, one that I'm doing with a pharmaceutical company right now. 
And um, they are getting ready to roll out a new performance management strategy and system. And so the learning solution that we're delivering for them is not as much about the nuts and bolts of like, how are you like doing the conversation in the system or what are the practices around like the policies around it? But it's really more about how do you have the real conversations as a leader with the people that you're talking to, not just during like review time, but all the time around the years so that it's not a surprise once you get into the performance management conversations. Yeah. So like, what's the, what was the particular challenge that this client like faced? Was there a reason they went to this new system or is there, were they already using this system and there was some challenges inside of it? Yeah. So they used it. They, I think they've been using it for about a year, but the biggest challenge that they're having is that they're wanting to improve their feedback of culture. So, um, or their culture of feedback. I totally said that the inverse. Um, so we can, can brand that feedback of culture. <laughs> feedback of culture. Yeah, that's a thing. They're like so interconnected. They can just yeah, flip. It's, it's so true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that that's the bigger thing that was a challenge for them is just trying to get their managers to understand how they actually you know, have these conversations on a regular basis. And so what was happening as a result is they were noticing that employees maybe aren't as um, engaged as they could possibly be. So they're looking at engagement scores and the trending that's coming there. Um, you know, things like retention also play into a lot of this. So trying to get an understanding for how do you create like a psychologically safe environment where people can give feedback both directions? What does that look like? And so they've got a lot of like the structure and the processes built around it now, which is amazing. And now they're trying to think more about the behavioral change side of things. So that's that's where we're coming in to help. Yeah, it's so interesting too, and I, I'm sure in your experience, you've you've experienced this in, in, in the past as well. But how often companies are quick to jump to the technology without having then the those best practices in place or actually training people on the I hate the word soft skills, but you know the, the more the, the the more human centered skills that go along, right? I think a lot of people are like, "Oh, here's the new performance management technology, amazing!" Now we manage performance, like now we have all of a sudden this this culture of feedback. And the reality is, it's so much more than just the system. And so it sounds like they might have put something in place, and then we're like, "Wait a minute!" Like it's actually not it's it's not the tech that makes the difference, but it's it's how people are utilizing the tech that makes the difference there. Yeah. And why? I mean, I think that's one of the largest parts of change management. When you implement one of these systems, like in previous lives, you know, implementing new performance management softwares, a new LMS, LXP, whatever it is, if people don't understand the reasoning behind how it can actually help you, then I don't think that they're as quick to adopt it. And so that's one of the things that I would frequently say as I was doing change management inside of organizations is this is meant to be a tool for you, not a burden. So how do we make this so that it's the best tool possible for you so that it feels like it's really helping like enable you in these situations? Yeah, I love that. A tool, not a burden. And I think as we roll out new things, and especially those people who are listening who are in leadership positions who are part of those conversations about new technology that gets implemented, you know, asking ourselves, like making this a tool, not a burden, because as soon as it becomes a burden, people are just like, nope, no, thank you. Like, I don't, I don't even care if it's going to make my job easier. It just seems like a burden. And that's where that change management piece comes in as well. So it can be, it can be so interesting. And it reminds me uh, on my other podcast, I recently had a guest, David James, and he was talking about how anytime you're implementing something new, if you can't implement it with pen and paper, you don't need a, a system for it yet. That like you should have that, you should have those, 
that framework ready to go that like a Google doc could essentially, you know, fill in for you and then try to figure out what that system is. So having for, for you coming in now knowing that they already had that system and that now they're looking on creating that, that I almost said feedback, feedback of culture too. We're gonna, that's our word. <laughs> yeah, that culture of feedback. What, what does, what does, well, it sounds like it's in progress right now too, but what does that learning solution now look like to make to kind of marry those two together. Yeah, definitely. So we do something that we call match. So campfire, we're all very branded, right? But I love the flow of what we love a good, we love a good branding moment. (laughs) Yes. Can't help ourselves, but yeah, so it's called match. So it's measure, which is like, get get a look at how this is affecting your organization. Obviously you want to think about that up front. So thinking through like, what are the, the downstream impacts that you're trying to impact by implementing whatever program this is and where's your baseline. So that way you just have a really good idea of that either pulling from existing sources, like an engagement survey or, you know, your retention numbers, like you don't always have to do something brand new to get the data that you need to prove effectiveness in a program, right? And then um, the A stands for assess. So that's where you like look at individual leaders and you take a look at their behavioral competencies around that specific thing. So in this case, performance management, feedback conversations, like all the things that kind of fit underneath that umbrella. And then the T is teach. So We have a little bit of a different framework for teach. I hate stand up and deliver anything. It just drives me mad. I don't think people really learn that way. Um, We know through, you know, the research that's been done that retention is a lot lower when you're standing up and delivering. So it's really about how do you create the type of learning that makes people feel like they're going through an experience that they are getting like, yeah, like almost like going to a movie or reading a book. Like how do you immerse them inside of it so that they feel like it's really they're, they're really going through it with you. And then um, we back that up, then the C is coaching. So whether that's small group coaching uh, or one-on-one coaching, whatever that looks like for your organization, but like, how do you then help people as they're implementing this stuff, like figure it all out. And then the H stands for help. So that's just like all those supporting documents and things you put in your LMS or XP. That was a lot of information that I just like blasted. I love that. I'm sure people are taking copious notes right now about that because you know, I think having a, a framework that was kind of my, my, my next question and we can talk more about it too, like that helps to inform your strategy too, right? So, you know, when you think about how in this particular case, you know, how did that strategy of match, like how did that, or how is it like manifesting into an actual program that you're delivering now? Yeah, definitely. So the starting point is we're working on the assessment together. So we're using some research-backed questions to gauge manager effectiveness, specifically around performance and feedback. It's coinciding right around the same time as their engagement survey. So we don't want to survey fatigue people. So we're being intentional about, it's a 180 survey. So it doesn't go to their leader because their leader isn't really a great assessor of how they have performance reviews because they're not in the room. So it's really about like them and then getting to know from their teams what that looks like and and how they're doing those types of um, behavioral competencies. And then what we have is we have like a cadence of it's a it's a 12-week program. The first eight weeks, every other week is a is a live virtual learning session inside of our app. And so it's really interactive. I'd say about 70% of our sessions is participant driven. So discussion-based activities, that interactive vibe, very rarely are we like 
we introduce generally like just one new concept because we're big believers, like to change behavior, you have to focus on like one really specific thing and go really deep in it. Cause otherwise people just are overwhelmed by all this stuff. Right. So they have every other week, this like virtual session for eight weeks. And then in between that, they have drip content and like basically a learning challenge that they're doing and like trying it out in their day to day based on the session that they've had previously. And then once those eight weeks are done, then they have like a month to go experiment in real life as well. And then we do a peer coaching session at the end of it to kind of capture how folks are doing and give them that support that they need, not just from like an executive coach that's in the room, but like from the other people that are going through it, like that right next to them that are having probably similar challenges and similar wins and all that good stuff. I love that. And I love your idea too of of that. I have a coach and she calls it micro potency, right? And like, how can we get those kind of like mic, like the the micro micro topic, but then go deep in that topic um, and allow it to be driven by the real experiences in the room. And I think that's been such a huge, a huge trend in a good way that that we've seen in the learning world go from that stage on the stage that you know I, I'm the facilitator and I know everything to facilitating the conversation based on the wealth of knowledge that's already in the room. So I love that you all are are not only utilizing that but capitalizing on that and using them as a, a huge part of your of your strategy to do yeah. that. What um thinking about a program like this, right? So there's all, there's, there's all those moving parts of it. What skills do you, you personally, and also your, your team, what, what do you leverage in order to not only develop, but sustain a learning intervention like this? Yeah. So to create the content, the way that my team is structured is we're kind of like in little trios, almost like an ad agency would be. So um, (laughs) it's a little different. (laughs) So, um, so I have a learning experience designer. That's generally like the point on a specific session or a project. And um, I'm the kind of the creative director that would work with them. So we're talking together about like, what's the learning objective? What's the major reframe, which is what we call it. Like, what's the big thing that you want someone to walk away like thinking a little bit differently than they did before. Like what would be that one thing? So then we build the rest of our sessions around there. We've developed like a the campfire experience arc is what I call it to try to take someone through that experience through the course of that hour through the virtual learning session. So they're the ones that are in charge of kind of all of that. And then they work with a copywriter and a designer. So the designer is helping with like the slide deck, making that look beautiful. I love our branding so much. It's just like warm and happy. It's really great. Yeah. Y'all nail it. You nail it. (laughs) I agree. Thank you. It's so fun. It's just very warm and fuzzy. And we want people to feel that way because this is hard, like to your point about like soft skills or human skills or whatever you want to call them. These are hard things. And to be able to talk about them, you have to come into like a place of safety, which is why we want that kind of feeling of this like baseline of, of yeah, being able to feel safe. So that's what they're doing as well as creating any sort of like one page or PDFs that's like a job aid type takeaway or any of the drip content that's going alongside the session. And then we have the copywriter and the copywriter's job is to help with a lot of those things as well. Um, Kind of like plugging in on the copywriting side, but also to like help make that session look really, really good to the participants that are coming through it from a marketing perspective. Because yeah, like the reality is, is when you're in learning and development, that your customers are the employees that your team members at your organization. And um, some people are very intrinsically motivated and they're like, I just want to learn how to give better feedback. 
there are a lot of managers that don't have that kind of drive because they have a million other things on their plate. Most people are working managers. So how do you write like a session description, for example, or on the calendar invite that makes people be like, I cannot miss this thing. Like I have to be there. I love, like I'm obsessed with the fact that you have a copywriter on your team. And I think it just goes to show too that it's not just about, not that the traditional roles don't matter or don't provide value because they absolutely do, right? You have a learning experience designer on your team and that's a, you know, a big role, but being able to almost pull like from a non-traditional perspective, because to your point, right? If you have those people who are intrinsically motivated, amazing, but the rest of them, they need, like, like us as humans, we need good copy to sell us on a course or to sell us on a pair of shoes or you know we watch a great movie trailer someone someone's working on that somewhere so I love that you've taken that approach too that in looking at skills for a team it's it's it has it sounds like it has formed not only from a skill perspective but from an actual job description perspective you know, how you actually want to grow and, and develop your team so you can grow and develop your, your learning products too. Yeah, definitely. And I think like being on this side of it, being in at like in a vendor is different, obviously than yeah. what I've done before, but it didn't shake it up for me a lot. It made me think about things differently and was like, how would I hire for this role? If you throw all of like the stereotypical learning and development, this is how you build. Like I've had, typically I've had learning like in development partners on my team that were doing pretty much everything. Like they were doing full Addy, everything themselves. Um, And that worked really well inside of those organizations, I think. And once I got onto this side of it, I was like, well, there's no rules here. Like I can make whatever I want. This is like, let's just see. And I mean, honestly, for the learning experience designers, I interviewed a lot of people that had very non-traditional backgrounds. Like okay, you are a screenwriter, like, let's chat. I'm curious to hear, like, you're used to creating really interesting experiences for people. Or I talked to folks that had been in like ad agencies previously because I was really interested in like, okay, you're a creative director. Tell me more about how that would show up in this type of a role if you're looking to make a change. Um, And particularly too, in in the economy when there were a lot of people looking for jobs, like how do we plug in people that would not necessarily be like the stereotypical fit here and see what that does for the team? Yeah, I think it goes back to, to, you know, in creating good learning, it's about, it's about being resourceful too, right? So it sounds like for you, 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 you saw, hey, here's what I'm going to need in order to, you know, to, to create and and to live up to, you know, this incredible brand. And that's a huge part of what you all do. How do we now bring this to life through, through learning and thinking about it non-traditionally, I think is so, it's such an important piece that I hope people take away as well, that there's all these different types of skills that when we get to actually look at them beyond the lens of traditional learning and development, we can say, wow, that's actually a really cool skill that will help us create these epic learning programs that will really, truly make an impact and make people want, want to take them too. So I love that perspective that you have for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So when we think about like, kind of going back to this program that you're creating, what tools do you, maybe it's something that you utilize all the time, maybe specifically for this, this intervention, but what tools do you use to create these programs, to deploy them? Um, yeah. What, what are you, what, what are you, what are you using on the, on the back end to make these come to life? 
Yeah. So we're non-traditional. I'm going to say that up front. Love it. We love a good (laughs) non-traditional. Yes. Yes. So, um, so we do have our own video platform. That's like a zoom replacement, which is amazing because it's got all these unique little features in it that make it a more inclusive classroom and realistically like virtual learning. Our goal is to keep everybody like inside the platform at all times so that they're not distracted by like a Slack or a team's message or whatever. Cause as soon as they leave like zoom or the platform, you've lost them. Like they're distracted, their mental space is somewhere else. So the goal is to keep everything inside of the platform. So we really designed to the platform, which is super helpful, but like on the back end, what we're using is Google slides as like our base but we don't ever build in Google Slides, really. Like we build everything in Figma, which is typically used as like a product type of a tool, design tool. Um, so kind of like the Adobe Suite and like if you're using some of those. Um, but so we design all of the slides in Figma and then pull those over like into images, into the slide decks. And then that's what we upload into, into um, our actual campfire system. So that's what we use for the sessions themselves as we're going through those. And then drip content will typically integrate into something like that's already being used because people don't, people don't generally want like a whole nother thing. Like they, they just want like go to where they're at. Like if they're in Microsoft teams and they already have a manager channel, cool. Like let's go there. If you like just utilizing places where people already are, I think is really important, particularly with drip content. So that's typically where we're using some of those. We use a couple different surveying tools. We're kind of on the hunt for what that looks like integrating in directly with our product for which which the exact right surveying tools we're using are specifically for the behavioral competencies and that 180 I was talking about. Um, but I think that's most of them. That's most of what we're using. That's so great too. And I think even, even for those who are listening who are in a more traditional you know, L&D role internal to an organization, it's such a great reminder that we don't need all of the fancy, super fancy, expensive, you know, the you know, $10,000 tools, like all of those things, you know, it's for, for you all, it's, you know, you're creating assets in Figma and Google Slides and really impactful assets in Figma and Google Slides too. And so I think the other point you made as well of meeting people where they're at and going where they already are. You know, I think especially from a, a manager perspective, and that's who you're focusing on. You mentioned it earlier. They're all working managers. They have a lot going on um, in addition to having to perform and do their own job. And so you add just one more tool for them to go to, it's automatically such a huge, you know, there's so much resistance to that as well. So, you know, rather than than recreating the wheel or introducing new systems, finding where they're at is such a a pivotal point, I think, in creating really good learning. Yeah. Cause I think that, I mean, you look at like right now, like if something was broken inside of my house, I wouldn't go buy a course from somewhere. I mean, I yeah. probably wouldn't, I would go look at the existing tools that I already have on like YouTube or TikTok or where I like, wherever feels like. And you wouldn't go buy a new house. <laughs> no, I wouldn't go buy a new house oh, either. Like my yeah. toilet's not working. Okay. Well now I just need to buy a whole new house. <laughs> yeah, for real. So it's kind of like, well, tap into the behavioral norms of what humans are already doing right now. And then just do those types of things for them. Yeah. Um, but with things that are actually really helpful and useful to them. Yeah, I love that. that's a really, really great analogy. So thinking about the program that you're working on right now and kind of you know, knowing knowing what you know now, having done work on it, is this something you've launched already or you're in the process of launching? We're in the process of launching. Process. Yeah. So now that you're in the process of it, thinking back to maybe when you started putting all of this together, what, if anything, would you do differently now than maybe you did? Mm. 
That's a great question. I think that one of the things that I'm still thinking that we could do differently even now is the change management around the the program that we're doing. I don't know if we fully explain the why in a way that's completely sold the program to the folks that are going to be going through it. And so I just think that that's such a critical piece of getting buy-in from folks so that, yeah, when they come, you've not only created like the, all right, you have to go to this thing, or this is highly recommended for people or however you're framing it at your organization, but they've also like internally bought into this idea as well and see the the value in it for them. And so by the time you've gotten them in to the room the very first time, you kind of set the stage a little bit and they're, they're a little bit more malleable and thinking about things like a little bit more openly than maybe they would have previously. So that's one thing that I still think that we can continue to work on. Yeah, I think change management, I don't think enough L&D professionals are versed in change management. And I feel like that's such a skill that our field could benefit from so much because anytime someone is learning something new, it is a change and Mm -hmm. we need to manage that change. And so I know there's any people who like there that does co coexist, but I think there's so many opportunities for us as L and D practitioners to become change management practitioners too. And just infuse, like infuse that in a little bit more because it's, it's a change. I mean, anything like you're changing your schedule, you know, it's like, it, we think it, yeah. it's so, it's so small, but all these micro changes that one program might ask someone to do adds up to one, one big change for people. Yeah. One of the things that I've done with previous programs is mapped out the learning journey, um, kind of as an overlay with the, the change curve, because people are going to, we know predictably how people interact with change, especially when it's really large organizational change. Um, for the most part, right? There's a bell curve with anything, yeah. but you, you, we do know the different stages that people go through and we know when they're going to go through like the pit of despair, right? And they're feeling like all is lost and they're never going to come out on the other side. So like, what do you do in those moments to help support them and make sure that they have what they need so that they don't lose the behavior change that you're trying to implement in the first place so that they can come out on the other side of it with that and and faster too, accelerating that, that place so that you can really get the ROI in your programs in a different way. I love that. I think anyone listening, that's a really great takeaway for people to think about of like, how do I map my, my learning experience journey with, with the, with, there's many bell curves of, of, of change management. Oh, Simon Sinek has a good one too, around like a, a, the adoption of things uh, more from a sales perspective, but it's really the, the, from the brain perspective of, you know, you have your, you know, you have your champions, you have your early adopters and you have your people who are just like, oh, hell no. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't even care. It could be the best thing in the world. I could be getting a million dollars from it, but I still, you know, I still don't want it. And I think to your point of being able to be there at those places for those people it helps to mitigate those that that depth of despair isn't isn't as deep, and we can pull people out of it so much quicker. So I, I hope that that's a huge takeaway that people are. I'm sure people are taking lots of takeaways away, uh, but thinking about you know, that change management piece and how do we overlay, to use your words, how do we overlay the learning journey and the learning experience with that too? So thank you for that. I think that's a really a really special way of have a, a special and also. I don't want to say easy, but doable way of looking at change management inside of learning and development. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, we just work with humans and 
as humans, like we, we know mostly, I mean, we're unpredictable too, but we know mostly how people react to things as a whole. And we know the types of support that we all do need as humans. But I think so much of it is particularly when you're in larger organizations, it's easy to lose the sight lose sight of the human side of things. And so we build like these big programs and really intricate programs that are beautiful and they're so well thought out, but I think it's just so critical to stay close to the human side of things and the being in the seat of one of the the people that's going through your program and thinking about how they're going to experience it and what they're going to feel as they're going for, I mean, feel, think, do, right? Like how are you thinking about that throughout the entire process from the seat of somebody that's maybe sitting like right in the middle of that bell curve? Yeah, I think it was, I don't remember, some rich billionaire CEO. Maybe it was Jeff Bezos. I can't remember, but uh, maybe, maybe this is even like a tall tale. Maybe I'm spitting fake news. I don't know. But <laughs> used to, I, I heard a story that like he used to keep a an empty chair in the boardroom and like that was the chair of the client and so like you know everyone else going around it's like well don't forget like what does the client need and I think if we can have that mentality too which is really what you're saying of you know we we can create really beautiful things we can create wonderful programs but at the end of the day if that human there isn't our priority we're not thinking from their lens then we're going to miss the mark every time and no like if we're not thinking about them they're not going to want to change either it's pretty it's pretty clear we when we we see marketing and we know that's not directed towards us. We just move on to the next from a a human perspective too. So I, I think it's so important to keep that in mind. And I love that that's something that sounds like it's a pretty central tenet of what you all do there too, is like, okay, who, who is this for? And like, who, who are they and how can we serve them best? Yeah. That's one thing that um, Steve, our CEO, he turned me on to this episode of, um, I want to say it was called the art of design or something like that is on Netflix. But um, at any rate, they, they interview or, and follow around. It's a docu-series and they interview um, one of the gentlemen that's um, a top um, car creator. And he's the one that oversees like all of the design of the vehicles. And so it was a really fascinating kind of like parallel to what you do in learning and development, because they start with like the user case, like they make up fake people and think about the user case of like, how would they be using this vehicle? How would they be experiencing it? Like, what are the things that are on their wish list? And after I watched that episode on Netflix, I was like, oh, wow, like we should be doing that for learning because those people are individuals. And even better yet, like I should ask them some of these questions. Yeah. So I can really get inside of their minds so that when I'm building, I have like some specific people in mind that I'm building for versus it just being like, I think I know what they need. And based on like the, the data inside of the organization, this is what I'm just going to do, you know? Yeah. And I think too, like, it's, again, it's so easy to your point earlier for us just to make beautiful programs that are, are well done and well intended, but we get to go back to wait, who is this actually for, you know, what is this persona and personas that I'm creating for on a deeper level, not just like job description and title and, you know, their level inside the organization, but actually how are they going to be using this and what are those use cases? And maybe it's someone who doesn't respond to change well, or maybe that is your persona, you know, and and especially too, if I think for people listening who have rolled things out in their organization, don't forget that you have that data. Like, how did that go? What was your resistance? Who were your champions? Those Mm. are people you can go back to, to your point. Like you actually have those people, go to them, talk to them, find out what was going on and be able to then, you know, personify them and say, okay, 
these are these are people who adopted it right away. Well, what 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 was that going on with them versus those who were you know last on the list to to complete something too? Mm-hmm, definitely, I love yeah. that. I love that too. So this program's going on or launching in the in the process now. What what does success look like, and how are how are you measuring that? How will you measure it? Yeah. So we're doing um, behavioral kind of pre-assessment with these 180s and then post-assessment with the 180s. So when you're looking at performance management, I think there's lots of different metrics that you can use to help understand successful, you know, whether this was a successful rollout or not. You can use like the typical bed of things, which is, you know, attendance and completion rates and smile sheets and Kirkpatrick level one type stuff. I think that's, that's always applicable. And then utilizing the pre and post assessments, getting an understanding for people's self ratings. And like, I'm a really big fan of using positive psychology in general when it comes to some of these things. So when you're doing a post assessment, I, one of the things that I'm kind of playing with and experimenting with right now is how do we use positive psychology to help reinforce the good behaviors that people like are seeing of their managers as they're going through these changes. So they're probably experimenting with things that maybe you're fitting them, maybe you're not. They're hopefully trying some new things. Like that's the whole goal, right? Is to create like new neural pathways, new habits inside of your brain. And so if you're doing all that, how do you help reinforce the ones that are really good? And in my mind, if they're hearing from their team on a regular basis, like this is going really well, I really appreciate it when you did this. And so that post-survey, that's one of the things that we're potentially experimenting with is thinking through like, how do we get that positive feedback from their teams directly that are the ones that are experiencing this change and then give that back to them so that we can help kind of continue that, that positive cycle of change for those. That's so great. And I think too, not only does that help you evaluate the success of the program, right? Like, oh yes, I feel like I, I, as an employee am feeling you know more confident in my role or better connected to my manager or, you know, whatever, you know, insert positive thing here, but then to be able to use that and say, yeah, this is successful. And how can I now continue the success of this through that positive psychology is such a wonderful idea. Uh, Cause it really does. I mean, everyone likes to get complimented and know that, Hey, yeah, I went to this, I went through this program and not only do I feel good about it, but now my team is feeling good about it. And how can I continue that cycle? So kudos to you for, for utilizing that and for, for, for bringing that in. Cause it can have such a lasting impact too. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's one of the things that is definitely the hardest about doing this in general is that there's no really easy way to measure behavior change. Yeah. It's just not. And um, at least in my opinion, and I've done a lot of you know research about this as well, but I will say that one of the things that is most important, I think, is that you do not- notice like the micro changes that people are making along the way um, and that you give it enough time to actually work because that's one of my fears about even just taking surveys 12 weeks apart from each other is you might see some changes at that point in time. You might not because people still might be kind of in the beginning stages of change with their behavior at that point in time. Um, it's really about like, yeah, being able to find the right trends for that particular behavior and that particular change or whatever value you're trying to implement with your, with your leadership development programs and finding the right cadence that you can ask that really truly captures that specific behavioral change you're going for. Yeah. I think the mic, the micro wins are so important too. I think that's something I do a lot with my, in my career coaching is 
yes, it's really easy to celebrate the the monumental wins. You know, I got a job or I launched this program or I had a feedback conversation. Like that, that's all great. And at the same time, how do we, how do we, how do we reward people and give recognition and, and have them have that self-recognition for, I always call it, you know, the, the mo it's not just about the milestones, it's about the moments and like mm-hmm. all those moments lead up to, to milestones too. So celebrating those and creating ways to do that is such an important part just of that, like micro, it's like micro reinforcement, micro reinforcement, micro reinforcement and versus, you know, to your point, like 12 weeks apart that you know, there could be big changes, there could be no changes, but you know, where, where are we celebrating kind of those, those little wins too. So I think that's anyone listening, thinking about that too, in terms of success, success, sometimes the big success, whatever that actually looks like takes years to prove like year, if ever, if a bigger change, right? Like it's really hard to prove that, but if we can start to capture some of those micro, micro moments and then weave all those together and say, Hey, look at all of these micro moments that happened amongst 12 weeks or, you know, one year, it's much more helpful to be able to deliver that as success too. So I, I I love that you're thinking about it on not just that macro scale, but the micro scale too. Yeah, definitely. And I would say the other thing as well is yeah. Pulling from things that I've already said this, but doubly saying it, because I think it's really important, which is pulling from things that you already have, because We do, particularly in a lot of organizations, have a lot of HR-based people metrics that, um, you know, do relate to the work that's done in learning and development. So leaning on HR business partners to help figure out what some of those things, some of those connections might be, and then trying to especially figure out ways that you can kind of hone in on the data a little bit more so you can see that there could be potentially real change from the participants that went through that program specifically, or like the department that went through it specifically, and how your intervention made genuine change for for that subset of people can be really interesting versus maybe people that didn't go through it. So you can try to isolate a little bit the results there. Yeah, I feel like there's so much story. There's so so many more stories in data like that than we give our give give the data credit for, right? That there's different ways of. It's not just like oh, pulled the survey, great, here's that answer. It's like wait, they're they're actually if we peel the onion back a little bit, if we sort it a little bit differently, if we ask a few follow up questions to people, that that data could actually tell us a much bigger story than what we actually think. Yeah, definitely, I love that. So. This program obviously seems like a lot of work, <laughs> a lot going on, a lot of moving parts, and even some things that you're still, you know, formulating and wanting to to get to get better and to hone in on. Um, but after this program, what are you working on next? What's the big What's the big thing for you and your team? Yeah, so lots of different things. We've got um, we've got a multitude of customers on. So we have campfires that are like cross company, so different people from different companies, different industries, all in the same room together doing that that teaching and group coaching together. So that's really fun. So we have a catalog of about 30 different topics. Every quarter we retire a couple, make some new ones, just depending on what's top of mind for leaders at that point in time. So we're continuing to build out kind of like that match framework I was talking about and thinking about how do we enable people to really measure inside of their organizations, what what their leaders are doing. And um, we call it our connected leader index that we're working on right now that we're researching and putting together these questions to understand. So it's one of the things that we're most passionate about is um, the Surgeon General actually two couple weeks ago um, just came out with this report about the loneliness epidemic and what people- Did you post that? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I saw I'm like, I know, I saw that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And it's really fascinating to see the impact that 
um, that our, the workplace has on most people's mental health and well-being, which makes sense. Like we spend so much of our time here. Our livelihood is directly connected to what we do at work. Like there are so many different reasons why our mental health is so directly connected into the workplace. But one of the biggest factors that I actually talk about in my keynote is that for 69% of people, their manager has more of an impact on their mental health than their doctor or their therapist and an equal amount to that of their spouse or their partner. So for us, like, yeah, trying to get managers to understand how they can get more connected with themselves and like understand how they're showing up on a regular basis and then getting, you know, them to understand how do I make deeper connections with people inside of the company so that we can help begin to close that connection gap that exists is something that, you know, we're really passionate about. So working on some of those things. And then that's a big, that's a big, a big task. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So working on that. And then, yeah, I'm writing a book, which is super fun. That's so exciting. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So, um, I'm writing a book about the correlation between a CEO's health and mental health and the health of the organization. So I've been interviewing different CEOs, really thinking about how, um, because when you think about it and you think about that stat, like how impactful managers are to everyone. Well, who's the manager of the manager of the manager of the managers? It's the CEO. And I think a lot of times we we dehumanize CEOs because they are reaping a lot of rewards and they get a lot of benefits. And also a lot of their behavior is what shapes an organization. So having them walk the walk and walk the talk um, is really critical to being able to enable a workplace that then is, as Vivek Murthy says um, in his report, or in, maybe it was in his book together, that the that the workplace should be an engine for mental health and well-being and should really fuel all of that. And like, wouldn't that be so cool if CEOs across the country, like that's their number one job is to make sure that the people that are on their teams are like whole as people. That would be amazing. Wow. Yes. Oh, we all need to read this book. Yes. <laughs> I, it, it's, it, thank you for doing that work because it's to your point, who's the boss's 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 boss. And we're, we're spending so much time at work. And especially when you're in a learning and development role too, one of the things I always used to say is that, you know, we're the ones serving up the Kool-Aid, right? So it's, it's hard it, we're the ones trying to create that culture of feedback. We're the ones delivering the content. We're oftentimes the faces of culture in the organization because people are seeing us live. They're connecting with us. They're with us from onboarding through leadership training through, you know, I, I think my, 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 a previous, in a previous organization, I was there for seven years. And so I, I, I was with people as they entered the organization to them becoming senior vice presidents. And so it's so interesting to to think about like the the way that people grow in organizations and how that mental health piece of it is so aligned. And so I think when we we think about learning and development, like we're we're oftentimes the 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 givers of the culture. And how does that how how taxing can that be sometimes if we do feel that big disconnect? I know. For me personally, that was a reason why I left my last full-time job. I was having to spew out this like idea of what culture was, yet I knew the organization wasn't practicing what it preached. So it was killing me on the inside. 
too. So I just, I love that you're doing that work. So thank you so much. When, when do we get to read this book? Now I'm like, I'm ready for it. Yeah. So we're in the process of writing. I'm in the process of writing. I am hoping that sometime this summer, actually, that we'll be able to release this and trying to move pretty quickly. I'm in the process of collecting that primary research right now. So um, yeah, it's really fun. So excited. Well, you're going to have a whole bunch of people waiting in line for this book, because I know a lot of people who are listening to this are going to not only love you, but love the fact that you're writing a, writing a book on that. Cause it'll be helpful. It sounds like it'll be helpful too at all from all levels to, to understand like what that, what that looks like. So, yay. So exciting. Um, all right. One last question for you. What is your number one tip that you have when it comes to creating good learning? If you could think if you could isolate one tip, what would it be? I think for me, it would be to create learning that people genuinely want to experience. Um, I just think that it's like, you, you really do like, it's, we're in the job of creating experiences for people because that's how, that's how we really learn. Like when I think about the most pivotal, pivotal moments in my life, it, they all are rooted in these experiences, really great experiences or really hard experiences that were a catalyst for significant change. And so if we look at the learning that we are doing as experiences that can be genuine catalysts for change, they should be like earth shattering, groundbreaking experiences. Even if it's something as simple as learning how to use a new technology, like there are so many different ways that you can do that and make it really, really impactful for folks. Amazing. Well, I know people after listening to this are going to want to connect with you, talk with you, learn more about you. Where can people find and connect with you? Yes, definitely. I'm on LinkedIn. So please come find me on LinkedIn. I post relatively regularly over there as well. Megan, thank you so much. This was such an amazing conversation. I know I made a lot of mental notes. Also, this is recorded so I can go back and make my physical notes later. Uh, But it was just so, so inspiring to have you on and for you to share a little bit of behind the scenes of what you all are working on there, um, specifically in that, in that one particular program, but also what, what your, the impact that you all are having. So thank you so much for coming on. I know it's not the last, I definitely want to have you back on once the program like roll, like wraps up and we can talk about maybe some, some lessons learned and what you're working on next too. But thank you so, so much. It was so impactful and amazing to have you on. Thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate it. This was really fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Good Learning Podcast. I hope you got both inspiration and practical tools that you can use to create your very own good learning. If this podcast impacted you in any way, please consider giving us a review to share your feedback. We would love to hear how you're applying tips from the show to your own work. And if you're looking for help in creating your very own good learning strategy for your organization, check out realgoodlearning.com to see how we can help.